Hello and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries brought to you by the Network and Edge Solutions Group. In this episode, we're going to be exploring some of the challenges that schools face as they transition to a human-centered learning experience through technology, trending use cases, and the innovation enabled by Intel's Network and Edge Solutions Group. I'm your host, Gabrielle, and today I'm joined by Eric Rodriguez, Education Regional Director, Network Edge Group at Intel, and Dr. Olka Joshi Hansen, who is the Chief Program Officer at Grantmakers for Education and author of The Future of Smart. Thank you for being on the podcast and welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So question one is going to be real simple. I just want to go ahead and have you state your names, your titles, and just what it is you do within your industry. So if we could please start with Olka. My name is Olka Joshi Hansen. I am Chief Program Officer at a nonprofit called Grantmakers for Education. We're a network of education funders that thinks about how philanthropy can better work um, to create equitable educational opportunities for all students. And I'm in charge of programming and crafting the learning agenda with and for our members. Wonderful. And Eric? Uh, Eric Rodriguez. Uh, I work in the network and edge solutions group, uh, focused on education. And really our charter is around equitable access when, it's, when, when we talk about what the role that technology has in the future of learning. Uh, so uh, Alka, you're an author, which in of itself is just a wonderful accomplishment in of itself. So congratulations to you there. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit more about what you talk about in your book and podcast. It's called The Future of Smart. And in there, you highlight the education system is working as it was designed. But uh, can you please share with us just a little bit more of that history of the education system that we see embedded in our country today? So lots of people have heard about the factory model of education, the industrial model of education. Um, but in our conversations, we often focus on how factories are organized, kind of what they look like, the design elements that we can see. And we try and change those things without actually thinking about the values and assumptions that birthed the factory model. So if we go back in history a little bit, Children used to be educated within their families, within their communities. What they learned was necessary for them to live thriving lives, to succeed and to contribute to their communities. And in the mid-1500s in Europe, that began to shift. The project of mass education emerged out of a time in Europe when scientists and social scientists were trying to control kind of nature and control society, right? That's why they call it the social sciences. And the, the project of mass education was really to say, let's take kids out of their family, out of their community. Let's put them in these boxes we call school. And let's try and make sure that they're educated as efficiently as possible to take their place within an existing social, economic, and political order. And even though we would never say that that's what we're doing today, in many ways, if we look at how children are educated, we continue to do the same thing. We take them out of their communities, out of their homes, put them in schools, and move them through grade levels so that they can come out and, you know, get jobs and go to college. And so in many ways, you know, it's not that what we're doing today is wrong or that the conventional approach is wrong. It's that the world has changed and we need education to do something really different. And it's not clear that we can tinker with the factory model enough to have it do this new thing that we need. 
For sure. And, you know, Eric, as a parent and a technology leader, what is the current state of the education system today from a technology perspective, from your perspective? Yeah, I think t technology has always played a role in the education system. Um, if, if anything, over the last few years, it has accelerated that conversation about what is the role that technology should be playing. Um, and until we have seen several of our of our of, of our ecosystem uh, technology leaders grow into the t into the education space, and and what COVID did is basically accelerated that conversation on what is the right role that technology should have in our schools, and and as schools are coming back to the new normal, the conversation has been sparked again on on what is the role that technology should have in the learning experience. How can technology play a, a role for the right tools for teachers? And, and, and really, how do we help serve the overall future of learning? Certainly. And, you know, as we start moving topics from Elka's uh, history uh, to a little bit more about technology, you know, it's important to note as a general rule, you know, it's hard to predict the impact that technology is going to be having in the global economy in the next 10 years, let alone the next few. So could you please share with us just how you think schools are addressing this challenge? Olka, can we start with your thoughts first? So I recently interviewed Jamie Kassop, who used to be with Google. He was their education evangelist, and he made an interesting point. He said, you know, we tend to think of technology as digital kind of gadgets or apps, that type of thing. But he said technology is really just a tool, like a pencil is a technology, paper is a technology. And the question is, what tools do we need to do the job that we want to do better? And I think right now, the vast majority of the conversation about technology and education is focused on how we do the current work of education better. And again, this is not wrong or right, but we say, well, let's get apps that allow kids to go at a personalized pace through the grade level math standards, or let's use Khan Academy that lets kids get direct instruction in a field. So that's one way that I think people have been using technology is to try and personalize, but they're trying and personal they're trying to personalize within a system that is still pretty standardized and regimented in terms of what kids need to do, what order they need to do it, and how quickly they need to do it. I think that if we were really to think about centering the child, centering the human being, and centering a different way of doing education, we would think about technology as a tool in a really different way and use it differently. But the other thing I think we would do is be thinking about the impact of technology in terms of what the purpose of school needs to be, right? So we are living in a world where knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Nobody is ever going to know everything they need to know. We're living in a world and students are preparing for a world where they don't even know the jobs they're going to have. And so there's no way to prepare them very specifically for certain types of roles. And technology, I was just reading an article about technology in its various forms can already do things that human beings used to think were our domain, writing, creating art, um, solving medical and scientific problems. And so this question, I think, for us in terms of technology has to be, in light of technology, what do young people need to learn to do in order to thrive and to be able to use technology as a tool to augment their abilities and to kind of do the things that they want to do better. And Eric, same question for you. How do you think schools are addressing this challenge? Yeah, what's really interesting about being in the tech space is that accelerated 
pace that we that we see in the outside world actually starts within the confines of organizations and companies like Intel, right? At the end of the day, we are stewards of Moore's law, which is at the end of the day, a, 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 an exponential technology capability that has moved the world forward at, at a pace that, that we have historically not been used to. And, and, but that has been normalized now, right? We are continuously moving at exponential paces that, you know, when a kid starts school in first grade, how the world is going to look like by the time they graduate high school, it's going to be very different. And that's thanks to technology. And so the role that technology has been playing has been really, you know, how, how do we help accelerate those experiences that teachers and students and communities want to have for their, for their, for their learning experiences? And, and, and at Intel, what, what we end up doing is we're basically just the garden that's there that, that these seeds are planted of different type of innovations, different type of products, different type of solutions could come out of, right? And then you could have a new tool to be presented into a school or into a community. And, and so that's the role that we feel at Intel we could play best. And, and in our particular group, the other piece that we talk about is really access to connectivity, access to digital experiences as well. And, and again, like Oka says, it doesn't mean it's a one size fit all approach, but because over the last few years has really shown us some of the gaps even that we have when it comes to digital literacy and digital access, at Intel, we are taking that to heart and saying, okay, what is our role to make sure equitable access is in place for these learning experiences in the future? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about what Intel's role is a little bit more in detail because, you know, this episode is titled A Human-Centered Approach to Learning. Uh, and to Alka, can you please share more about HIL as a learning option for the education system to consider? And Eric, afterwards, could you please shed some light on what this approach means to Intel? I tend to think of schools in three buckets. So you, we've got our conventional schools, which are our modern day version of the factory model. Then we've got this big bucket in the middle that I call whole child innovative reform. And that is where we see what doesn't work with the factory model. And so we try and bolt on solutions, whether it's new technologies or social and emotional learning or project-based learning, but we bolt it on, right? And there's so much to fix in the conventional system that can become really hard. And the third bucket I think of are these human-centered kind of approaches to school. So if we think about the conventional system was designed to kind of get young people into a place, efficiently educate them, standardize them almost, and then put them out into their roles, the, a human-centered approach really says, look, the purpose of education is to help each individual maximize and realize their unique potential. Right? And it, it shapes itself entirely around the individual. It takes into account what we now know about human development and the fact that a five-year-old is different than a 15-year-old. It takes into account what the learning sciences are telling us about how and when deep learning happens. And so human-centered um, approaches are really ones that honor the nuance, the diversity, the complexity of human capability, center that, and then use all of these tools, digital tools, human tools, community resources, to kind of allow the individual to shape their education in a way that lets them find right, the place where who they are, their passions and their interests and talents meet what the world needs. At, at the end of the day, t technology is an extension of human in ingenuity. Right. So really what humans are able to do, um, technology is able to accelerate that. 
And, and so when we talk about human-centered learning, uh, using Oka's example, really we see technology being a tool there to make that a reality. And, and technology is there to meet the needs and, and meet the co community and the students where those needs are at. And, and, and that's where we get very excited of, of not only being part of a, of, of, a, of a corporation that serves the entire world, but also having our customers, our partners, our schools that, that, that recognize that the analog to digital journey looks very different in different communities. What a school could look like in the middle of Quito, Ecuador, looks very different than what a school could look like in Houston or could look very different in Penang, Malaysia. And at Intel, we recognize that, but we recognize that through our technology that at the end of the day is there to serve that particular community and that ecosystem that is built there for those learning experiences to meet the students and the teachers and where they're at. Now, this next question is for both of you. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with Olka. But today, what does a human-centered learning approach look like at schools that are implementing it? Because they're really developmentally aligned, they look really different for elementary versus middle versus high school. But there are some things that are pretty core. The first is that students are the ones who drive their learning. So we talk about student agency. So adults don't hold the power. They're really trying to give the power to young people to say, who am I? What do I need to learn? How do I learn? And how do I access the tools and resources I need to do that? Most of them are multi-aged, right? I, I often say human beings are not born in litters. We're not meant to be with people all of the same age. We're born into multi-age communities to learn. And so a lot of the classrooms are multi-age, so kids are learning from each other. Adults tend to stay with students for multiple years so that they can get to know them really deeply and kind of see their journey and progress. And then learning and experiences are designed to let young people engage actively, uh, both inside of a classroom or school, but also to access the world outside. And so they're really making sense and meaning and engaging in robust ways with their learning. And then there are also lots of different ways for students to show what they know. So it's not just reading and writing um, a, an essay or a test. It's I could make a video. I could create a podcast. I could create something, you know, a documentary to be shared with other people. And so there are lots of different modalities. And again, we're, we're seeing here, right, how technologies can play into that in terms of expanding the way young people can both access, um, make sense of, and then share information. I really want to underscore the idea that human-centered education allows each individual to become their unique self. Right? Natural ecosystems require biodiversity to handle unexpected changes, right? The biodiversity is a good thing. And I think in our world and the standardizing process that education tends to move us towards, we're forgetting that neurodiversity, people who see and experience the world in different ways, are really important for us as a human ecosystem because of the world that we're about to inherit, a world that we can't predict, we can't know what we're going to need. And so this idea of moving from standardized notions of what it is to be educated to how do you become who you are, able to work with other people who are also who they are, becomes super important in navigating and hopefully solving complex challenges and opportunities. And to you, Eric, as well, what kind of examples do you have of a human-centered learning approach at schools? Sure. Uh, going back to Olga's uh, example there, I, I, my personal journey started off with an experience like that. Um, I was in a school in, in, in Ecuador in the seventh grade, and it just so happens that my school opened up its very first computer lab that had the internet. 
And, and that experience alone completely reshaped my life and my worldview because it gave me an opportunity to see the world outside of my space, outside of my of, of the country or the community I was in and understand how the rest of the world is working. And that inspired me to one day become an engineer and inspired me to you know now have an opportunity to work inside the education space. And, and those type of examples we see all over the world today, right? We still have 50% of the population on, on this earth not connected. And, and so how we could serve those communities it gives us a potential to unlock what those communities could do as well. And, and so that is a focus area at, at, at our corporation as well at Intel is what does the connectivity of the future look like as technologies continue to be accelerated? And then for schools that are connected and that do have the ability to have these digital experiences, how are those digital experiences accessed in an equitable way? How are they creating these rewarding learning experiences that again, could unlock that creativity in every kid and in every community. Absolutely, and this initiative is a worthy pursuit, And but people who are, or the schools that are implementing uh, these digital experiences, you know, it can sometimes be somewhat of a challenge. So, you know, I wanted to ask both of you, what are some of the challenges that schools tend to face when they're making this transition? Olga? I think the first is that the older kids get, the more the very natural drive they have to learn is lost, right? If you take a, people joke about it, that the two-year-old knows how to use the remote control to the TV because they pick things up and they played with it and they know how to do it. But the longer they're in school, the more likely kids are to wait for somebody to tell them what to do, how to use something, what to give back. So I think that's one of the first pieces is if you're trying to do these kinds of programs with students who are older, you have to teach them how to be curious, how to learn and how to drive their own learning. And then in the public system, we have different things, right? We have a real push on grade level standards and grade level assessments. I'm not saying standards aren't a good thing, but the question is, do kids learn and grow in nine month cycles? Probably not, right? So the fact that we feel like in this year, we have to cover this content and the next year we have to cover that content, that's one. Accountability systems, I think, have made it really hard and risky for schools and educators to try and do something different where there might be quote unquote failure, right? Which in a human-centered system, we would think of failure as, oh, that's a learning opportunity. I get to like figure out what didn't work and move forward. But the stakes are really high with accountability. Um, we have things like seat time, right? Instead of saying, hey, you can be out in the world and maybe your museum has an incredible kind of technology thing, uh, technology um, exhibit, and you learned a whole lot, well, that doesn't count because you're not in a classroom with a teacher. Higher ed requirements are another one, right? So I think a lot of parents and students start worrying like, oh, if I didn't do an AP test sitting in a classroom with a teacher, if instead I'm learning by going out into the world and helping to solve a problem that I learned about through a documentary I watched, right? Then that that's not gonna count and give me credit. And then I think the last is just human uh, kind of adult capability. I'm a parent of two kids. Um, I'm 13, they're 13 and 15. And being a parent has been one of the most humbling kind of challenges because it's taught me you have to let go and you have to sort of say, I'm not in control, you are, and you have the capacity to do that. And I think for many folks, when we go into teaching, we're not there yet. And so we really have to have a mindset shift as adults about how we partner with students to create learning, not drive it for them. Absolutely. And Eric, what is your experience with some of the challenges that schools are facing making this transition? Yeah, I would say one of the main challenges that schools are facing is, is really making technology invisible, 
right, for this experience. Because historically, technology has played a very, not only significant role, but but has also played a role that it's kind of been called out. It's okay, I'm going to use this piece of technology to do X, Y, Z. And instead, it should just be a tool, just like a pencil is invisible, right? Like we were talking about earlier. And, and, and that's the world technology can evolve into. And, and, and I think we need to be much more thoughtful about how technology is being implemented in these classrooms to make these experiences really invisible and just be an extension of what the teachers and the students are looking for. And that's what we're thriving for every single day. That's a good way of looking at it as an extension versus the end all be all solution. It's something that can assist. Absolutely. Yes, it's a tool. Well, you know, I wanted to ask, where can tools like technology that are also moving at an exponential pace help the transition to the human-centered learning experience? Olka? I think a lot of the technologies that we have, we've had in the past, and digital ones in particular, can tend to pull students into a digital environment to sort of do all of the learning. I think it's kind of interesting to think about how technology can be used to sort of allow young people to look outwards, whether it's the ability to access experts on the other side of the room, uh, on the other side of the globe, or to be able to map assets in your community so that if you're a young person and you want an internship, you've got some information and data there and the ability to connect um, with partners. Um, So I think, you know, I, I think for me, it's partly how does how does technology help to expand um, young people's sense of who they are, where they live, who they can be, and then actually connect them um, to real people and real things in the world that they can then go as human beings and be part of. Um, so I would really love to to see that. Um, another is just capturing learning wherever it happens. So uh, there's a technology that I think, Eric, you introduced me to called Unruler that says you can be anywhere and you can be capturing learning because you can take a video or a picture or do an interview with someone. Wouldn't that be amazing for kids to know that they can learn and get credit at any time because they've captured it? Um, and so I think those are, those are some of the creative solutions I'd love to see those folks who are working in technology think about, right, in terms of new technologies that allow these human-centered environments to say, all right, young people need tools to be able to expand their world and to be able to own and drive their journey in a very new way, as opposed to just here's, here's an app, right, that's going to pull you along on a journey instead of a teacher. For sure. And Eric, uh, what kind of technology that you've seen is helping the transition to a human-centered learning experience? I, I would highlight a couple of them. Uh, one basic one, which we talk about foundational equity, is, is connectivity. Um, connectivity today is um, basically what, what students and what communities need to really have access to information of the future. And and, and like Oko was highlighting, um, Information today is, is is growing at an exponential pace. So one of the basic technologies that we need to access that information is connectivity. And, and so we are committed to making sure that, that not only as the world becomes connected, communities get connected, schools become connected, and the learning experiences are connected. And also the second example that we have um, that, that we're seeing also an increase uh, uh, growing experience on this is, is also capturing these learning experiences, right? So I think over the last 10, 20 years, we pretty much normalized, you know, what it is to, to experience a social network. And so how does that experience now become, you know, more of a learning experience? And, and the example that was used on, on, on Ruler is a perfect example of that as well. 
and and we're seeing a lot of these experiences on how tools can 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 become uh, a, a way to capture these these learning experiences so we could kind of showcase what a portfolio or what what my work looks like right versus a um, uh, an experience that I have in a particular examination on a particular day you know that that the entire their state or school is doing now I could showcase my work in a completely different way and so we're seeing students not only share their work online share share their portfolios online but also showcasing their work in their community so any any way that we have students or communities to share their work and share the problems that they cared about so much that they found solutions for at least aspired to find solutions for that that sense of autonomy and how they use technology to do that that means much more for for that community and for that student for the growth of that student Abby, could I add? Could I add just one thing? Yeah. It's so funny. I've been trying not to respond to Eric, but there, Eric, there's so many times where you say something and I want to respond. I'm like, oh, consider something like virtual reality. Imagine the kinds of experiences we could let young people have that would motivate them to kind of behave differently, meeting people who are different, being put in situations that make them uncomfortable and being able to navigate that, seeing what the world might look like if climate change isn't affected and really using that to help motivate them to do something. And then I think, you know, about simple things. Uh, there, there are a bunch of scooters outside my house, elect electric scooters. That's an amazing tech tool that all of a sudden says you don't need a school bus to be able to get wherever it is you want. You can get on a scooter, you can ride to the other side of town. So I, I just think using our imaginations around what counts as a tool to facilitate learning that really puts the human being in the center and allows them to shape it in the ways that best suit them it, I think it lets us see the world and see the application of technologies, whether digital or otherwise, in entirely different ways for the, you know, in service of young people. Yeah, to follow up to that, Oka, that's a great example, right? You know, virtual reality, augmented reality, it, it is technology that's been continued to grow. And just like any exponential technology, just from one day to another, we're going to feel it. And it's going to be all around us. Um, but one experience I actually did have a chance to, to, to visit not too long ago is ASU Dreamscape. And what they're doing there is they're basically using a virtual reality experience to put students in this virtual world. And, and one really interesting experience I had was, you know, it's a, it's a completely fictitious planet that you go and visit. But you really, at the end of the day, you're detecting the species that has cancer. And, and the student walks through the experience of how do you detect it? How, how did you hypothesize for it? Okay, what does it look like? How does it compare to other organs in, in that particular species' body? And so just that 15-minute experience, which is pretty much the only thing that you need, could unlock hours of conversation and creativity where that student could go uh, and where that classroom could go because of that experience that they had together. Well, and I love that, Eric, right? Because right now we're having conversations about how do you put kids um, into internships? Well, you could have the experience of, of following a surgeon. You could never do that in real life, but you could do that through virtual reality, right? So you make possible things that wouldn't otherwise have been. I do just want to note, though, that I think as we use technology 
there is an interest, there's something important, one, about helping young people have discernment around technology and what's out there in the world. Again, I was just reading this article. You can see it's had an impact on me, but the amount of things that aren't real, the amount of things that are manipulated. And so discernment and judgment um, feels like a hugely important thing for for schools to be helping young people and frankly adults, I could use it, um, kind of develop. And the other is just the question of what should we be doing with technology and what maybe do we not want to do? Like we could do it, but should we? And that's a legitimate question, I think, as we get to the point where technology is evolving so rapidly that the potential maybe outpaces our capacity to really understand what the consequences of it, of it could be. Oh, that subject could be the whole next podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> that's an idea for the next one. It's a large subject. Well, you know, as we start to close this podcast, for those interested that are learning and implementing a human-centered approach, how can they stay connected with this work y'all are talking about? Well, if they want to stay connected to me, they can find me at my website, um, which is Olka, ulcca.com. Um, I also have a book called The Future of Smart and a podcast by the same name. So um, in all of those areas, I explore a lot of the themes we've talked about today in more depth. Wonderful. And Eric? I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation. And one of the best ways we continue to talk and stay connected is through social media platforms. And the one I'm most active on is on LinkedIn. And so feel free to connect with me there. And also feel free to shoot me any emails with any questions you might have. And you could reach me at eric.rodriguez at intel.com. Looking forward to it. Glad to hear it. Well, that wraps up our conversation for today. So thank you to the both of you for joining this podcast to talk about a human-centered approach to learning. And if people listening want to hear more, uh, Go ahead and visit those websites that both Eric and Alka called out and take a listen to Alka's podcast and also her book and a read to her book. Uh, and fantastic. Well, I want to thank our audience for tuning into The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries brought to you by the Network and Edge Solutions Group. So please don't forget to subscribe to hear more from the Network and Edge Solutions Group. Thank you. Thank you.